Hi, and thank you for joining me. I am Tracy Van Buren, host of Pouring Good Tea. And today we have none other than contributing host, Kelly Fluharty. Say hello to our sippers, Ms. Fluharty. Hello, everyone. And as you know, before we get started, we always tip a little bit out to someone. And today's tip goes out to none other than Naomi Osaka. This young lady took up her personal space and power to decline playing in the French Open because of what she perceived as continued bullying by reporters and other news outlets. May we all be at a place where we feel comfortable with ourselves, our passions and what we contribute that we can say no to whatever doesn't serve us, regardless of who it affects. Because important, most importantly, if you don't have you, you don't have anybody else. So we're gonna sip a little bit for her today. Sip it if you don't have if you don't have it, don't even worry about it. Now I'm excited about this show because it's something near and dear to me um, at the stage of life that I'm in. We're gonna talk about finances and real estate and some of the emotion around that and how to get prepared for it. We have two guests that are joining us today, subject matter experts in their own right. Um, we're gonna start with Ms. Candace Purdy. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Good evening, this is Candace Purdy and I am from Brooklyn, New York where I am a licensed real estate salesperson. Um, I focus, I do all throughout the five boroughs of New York but I focus on Brooklyn. And um, it's really lit right now. <laughs> I can imagine. Thank you for joining us. Thank and you next, for having me. None other than Ms. B. Peterkin. Please introduce yourself to our sippers. Hello everyone, I'm Beatrice Peterkin with Loan Depot. I am a licensed mortgage loan originator for the states of North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. I have been a mortgage loan person of some sort in some capacity for over 32 years now. And um, it is my passion, apparently. I've tried to get out actually a few times and they won't let me. So here I am. 32 years later, still trying to get mortgages done on a daily basis. A lot of times for underserved communities, people who um, a lot of folks kind of look over those that have a lower than uh, area median incomes or those of um, our brown and, and black brothers and sisters who get underserved, unfortunately, a lot. And so it's my passion is what I do. And I try to be as much of an expert as I possibly can when it comes to this journey where it, where it comes to getting money for a home. So any questions that anybody has, I'll be glad to try and answer them. If I don't have the answer, I will go and find it for you. Okay. And if you are new to the show, we're gonna hear from um, Kelly Fluharty, our resident uh, contributor and co-host. Go for it. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Fluharty, and I am the owner of Crown Virtual Solutions, where I do administrative work for small business owners to allow them to build their business while I work in their business. I'm great. I'm really excited to be here tonight. Okay, well, thank you, ladies. Once again, nothing gets us going better than getting together and talking about things that uh, we're interested in. And I'm really excited about being able to get with a bunch of like-minded women to talk about things that are gonna serve us. If not us 
specifically those that we support or that we, you know, go out and have other conversations. So while sipping this tea today with us, if this doesn't work for you, introduce somebody to the content that you found helpful because I'm sure it will be for someone else. So when we're talking about realtors, and I heard the word loan originator. What are the differences between the two, if any? Any of you two ladies can answer that. Well, there is a big difference. Um, one thing you would want to do, and I would recommend, suggest anyone, if you're going to look for a property, that you need to speak to a mortgage broker, mortgage banker, loan officer, well, there is a difference and Beatrice will be able to better differentiate, but you would speak to them to figure out what you qualify for and that you should do before you come see me. Or if you don't do it before you come see me, you will be doing it immediately after we meet. Okay. <laughs> what would yeah, you say that, to that? The, I would say th that is exactly right, Candace. I have a large pool of realtor partners that I deal with in the area. And the first thing they tell every customer, you need to find out what you can buy before we start looking for anything. Because it's one of the worst feelings in the world to walk into a house, fall in love with it, and then find out you can't afford to buy it. That's the worst feeling in the world. So I don't suggest it to anyone. Always go find out what you can purchase first, what you can qualify for, get an actual pre-approval letter, meaning um, that a loan officer or broker or banker, someone like myself has reviewed your credit report, has looked at your income, has looked at your assets and knows what you can afford to buy and what you can qualify for. And if there's you know, some programs available out there to help you with those if you don't have your money saved. So first get the money, then find the house. Go get the money, go get the money. Okay. Go get the money first. I've owned several properties. And sometimes when I would go in to look at places, I would feel like I would get questions that other people wouldn't necessarily get. Like say, for example, a man. Do you still find that that, or do you, are you having customers that tell you that they're having same experiences that there's a little bit of disparity amongst buyers when they're looking at real estate? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Beatrice. No, go ahead. I, I would like to hear what your thoughts are first, because, you know, I obviously have thoughts on that. Okay, so um, New York, had a big, they, we've undergone a, a huge investigation on um, steering and that is, or allowing people not to, or keeping people out of particular areas. You don't want them in this particular area. And so you still have that. Although we have come such a long way, we still have a long way to go because you, you can just even see the areas like Specifically, you'll see a whole cluster of one race of people. And then let's say you may see across the street, you may see a whole cluster of another set of people. And so like, so it still happens. It still happens. Okay. Yes, unfortunately there is. And again, my entire reasoning for getting into this business 32 years ago is it just hurts my heart to see the disparity that existed. And I will say, 
again, as Candace said, we have come a long way, but we still have a long ways to go. Um, there are still people who look at an application and go to the back of the application and look at a person's race and sex before they approve the loan, which I personally feel like it should be illegal, but you can't stop that from happening. What you can stop from happening is disparity based on those particular things that are considered protected classes, being race, sex, ethnic origin, sexual orientation, so on and so forth. Um, I don't believe there's as much disparity for women as there once was, just women in general, because I see a bunch of single women buying houses on a regular basis every day now. Whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was disparity about that. The loan officers used to ask a single woman, how can you afford to buy this? Or where is your husband when you were coming to apply for a mortgage? And it's just, it, they had to make it illegal to stop it from happening. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie, The Banker, but yes. um, that movie has such significance to the mortgage industry regarding the disparities that existed. It did not matter what a person made, it had to do with their color, what their loan was, whether their loan was considered a good loan or not, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So there's still disparity. We've, we've come a long way, but we still have a long ways to go. It's interesting. Go ahead, Kelly. I was well, I was going to ask, why is it like, is it required that you put your race and your sex on, on or your gender on an application? It is, it is a, it is called Humda information that is on every single application. It is not required by the applicant to put it on there, but it is required by myself as a loan officer to notate what I know to be that person's race and ethnic origin and sex based on Why? my conversations or exactly. you know reviewing their driver's license. So it might as well be a requirement because somebody's going to tell it <laughs> at some point Why? anyway. So, so if I refuse, if I refuse to do it, then you still have to do it. By law, I wow. have to. Because yeah. the government so, says they have to know so that there's not disparity. However, <laughs> the, but then that's how the they, fact that you've told it, there may be some disparity depending on who underwrites your file. Now, I will say Loan Depot takes very, very seriously. We're entirely too large as an organization to have that kind of thing going on in our company because if it did, it's the, the pockets are just too deep. Just think about it. If somebody said to Loan Depot, you have discriminated against me because of my race or my color, or my ethnic origin, and did not give me a loan and could prove it, they could sit pretty for the rest of their lives. So it's not something we can afford to do. Think about it. Candace, are you an independent realtor? I'm an independent contractor, sorts, but I still work with a company because in, in New York, you have to work, every licensed salesperson has to work under a mm -hmm. licensed broker. So I am working with a, um, a boutique real estate right now. I was at with a larger firm, but now it's a smaller one. And um, so we're still independent contractors, but we still have a higher authority. 
And you you're obviously required to do that as well to to annotate right. well, even if i say no i'm sorry go ahead so if i obviously because a lot of times when they put race i'd be like no i'm tired i literally put that in there um so if i'm going to do something you're still required to put in what you think i am as well too right and and because it's more so for statistical reasons or for informational purposes and not to discriminate. Hmm. My BS detector's on, but okay, I got right. it. Yeah. I that's... actually had that same thing happen. I wasn't buying, but when I lived in New York trying to rent a property, um, I had three kids at the time and was trying to get a, a, a three bedroom and they said, how are you going to pay for it uh, with my job? And hmm. then I tried to get a two bedroom because I thought, okay, well, maybe I just need a two bedroom because my son was an infant at the time. He could stay in my room. And they're like, no, you have three kids. You have to have two, you have to have three bedrooms. I'm like, okay, so which is it? <laughs> right. But, and that was even just in renting, you know, that they were like, how are you going to pay for it? They have changed the laws so much now, like a lot in a lot of areas where they're trying to kind of revert back to where you're not supposed to ask, let's say if you're on a specific program that we're not supposed to ask, how are you going to pay the rest of them? Um, let's say if the program is going to pay a portion of your rent I'm speaking of rent right now. Mm -hmm. um, we're not supposed to ask, well, how are you going to pay the rent rest of it? Well, are you employed or are you getting some type of um, social service, uh, something like that? So they seem like they're trying to really eliminate all of these things. But when you look at it, you're saying, how can you eliminate it when you're still, because if you're saying that it doesn't matter if I'm what gender I am, what race I am, why is it still on the application? Right. Why are you still asking? Why is it still on the application? Right. Hmm. I, I, and how does that work if I am, um, if my partner and I, because we, we recognize love is in partnership is so many different things, but how does that work if I go in to look at a home with my partner and we're the same sex? Or if I come in and I, <laughs> I look like this, but I identify as a coffee cup. Well, again, those are some of the things that are changing. And because New York, although they, they're open to a lot of things. So you still have certain areas where everything is frowned upon. And mm -hmm. then you have certain areas where everything goes. So it doesn't matter if you're a coffee cup, because if you have the money, we're going to take your money as a coffee cup. But there are certain areas <laughs> <laughs> where you can say that you are specific and you can really look like specific, but because I think that you're something else, you're not allowed here. Wow. All right, let's come on down to the Bible Belt. How does that work here? B. Well, um, by law, we are not supposed to discriminate and we have, um, and the app, the, the mortgage application, oh my God, has gone from three pages 32 years ago to six pages 19 years ago 
to now 17 pages in 2021. They want to cover everything. Make sure there's nothing missed. Part of that is the application actually asks if you are male, female, or other. So if you don't identify with, that's entirely up to you. Whichever one you identify with, that's what you put on there. Race, sex, ethnic origin, all again. The questions are there, but we cannot discriminate if there are um, husband and wife, wife and wife, husband and husband. If it's spouse is a spouse, it doesn't matter what their sexes are. We cannot discriminate based on that. It does, and that's because that is the law in all the states that I do business. So, okay, I'm gonna table that because I'm really trying to get to the media questions that some of our um, listeners may be interested in, the how tos and the steps therefore. But I'm still trying to wonder uh, why I know technically we're not asking these questions out loud and you know, in your face, but you really are, and you're being just as invasive, not you specifically, but you're being just as invasive if you're asking the questions on paper. What mm -hmm. difference does it make whether I stand up or sit down or lay down to urinate and what anatomy I pull out to do it based upon my ability to, to be fiscally responsible for a mortgage? Right. It is very strange that they still ask it. I, it just that's the, the federal government determines that though. Right. That's not individual states don't make those determinations. The the federal government determines what is going to be on an application, and it is basically forced on us. Either you will use this application, or you will originate a loan that you cannot sell. No mortgage company wants a mortgage. Millions of dollars. Excuse me millions of dollars of mortgages that they can't sell to whatever entity there is out there. So you have to do it. You either play the game or you don't get to come to the field, basically. Get along to get along. Um, uh, that has not changed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so now I'm ready to buy a house. I've been dreaming. I've been, look, I've been looking. And as Candace stated before, this process needs to start way before I'm dreaming about what color um, curtains I want. How far back before I even start talking to someone about my finances? Like, I'm, I'm here today. I'm ready to start thinking about it, whether it's a year from now or two years from now. Give me a couple of things from each of you um, that need to be on my list before I even come to have that conversation. Top of the well, list would you. be credit. I'm sorry. I apologize, Candace. No, I was going to say, I'll give you the basics and then I will allow you be to go into it because okay. um, that will be um, pretty much you, you want to give yourself time if you don't have good credit and if you're looking to do something immediately then that those two don't go hand in hand. So if you're looking for something long-term, then you want to, then you can go 
three months, six months. You want a goal to make sure you don't have anything in judgment. So you want to prepare yourself that way. You want to make sure that you can get everything paid off, that the bank will give you the loan. So it depends on your um, planning. It depends on your situation. If you're looking for something now, um, but you want to give yourself time to clear off anything if anything needs to be cleared off. And if not, if you pretty much have all your ducks in a row, you can really go to the bank online tonight and start looking tomorrow. All right. Okay, bring it back a little further for me, B, than, than that. I'm, I'm okay. just ready to, because I'm, I'm sick of mama. I'm sick of him. I'm just over here with him because he got a nice house, but I need an exit plan. And what does that look like for me when I'm about so, a year out? Okay, so... The first, I talk to a lot of people who are in various stages of, I, I think I'm ready. You tell me if I'm ready, help me get ready. <laughs> Just a little bit of everything in between. Mm -hmm. And so the, the best thing that I can suggest is to first have a budget and look at your budget and see what you're spending money on. And from that, then look at your credit. Credit Karma is a great place to start, but I tell everybody, please do not depend on Credit Karma for your mortgage credit scores. They are very, very different. Mortgage credit is pulled directly from the three credit companies, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion directly from them, which those scores will vary from what Credit Karma, Experian.com, MyFICO, blah, blah, blah. There's some of everything out there for you to explore what your credit looks like and to try and keep tabs on it. And again, like I said, I, I, people talk about Credit Karma all the time, but I get people who call me and say, well, Credit Karma says my score is 700. I said, sweetie, I don't really care what Credit Karma tells you. I, and I have to be honest, because I really don't care what Credit Karma tells you, except when Credit Karma tells you that a collection has been removed, because they will tell you that, and that's good information. And I need to know that if we're working on correcting your credit. However, you need to know what's going on with your credit. And if Credit Karma tells you your score is 750, then you probably have somewhere between 700 and 725 credit score which is a decent credit score and can get you approved on most mortgage loan products. Know your credit, have a budget, and then sit down and be realistic about your plan for saving because the concept that you can buy a house and have zero money out of pocket is almost, if not impossible, especially in this market because sellers wanna see some skin in the game that's all there is to it. They want to see some, I don't care if you're getting down payment assistance, going to pay 100% of your down payment. Sellers still want to see some skin in the game. Um, so be realistic about your savings plan and know what you're willing to do to get there. How much work are you willing to do to get there? So that's kind of where you start. A true budget, know your credit, and then what is your pattern for savings? What have I put aside for my future home, forever home, whatever home it happens to be? 
those are good um, options. Um, I think a lot of times we, we forget about the true budget um, aspect of that. Sounds like you both are doing a little bit of personal and life co uh, coaching when you're talking to people uh, as well. Um, I've had, I don't know about you, Kelly, but I've had some really interesting, um, some really interesting exchanges because I'm going to speak my mind. I've had realtors. And so I guess this question is to you, Candace. What should I be looking for in a realtor? I, I'm turned off on, I need to build a relationship with you rather than you just carting me about or me meeting you somewhere. I've had people that didn't have time to talk to me. Their answers were really short. Um, so what are some things that someone should be looking for when they're looking? Um, and then what are some signs that say, this isn't the person for me? Well, some people you have, I was going to say one of the things you, you need as a realtor, well, I think you need personality. You need to be able to differentiate who's wanting, because actually as a realtor, you become a psychiatrist, a baker, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, uh, a driver in some instances. So you want to be able to work with someone who has, like you said, the availability to discuss the things that you need to even sometimes redirect your focus because we go in with what we want and what we have to have. And sometimes we need someone to give us the reality of things. And so you want a realtor who's well versed and knowledge in um, what's out there, what we have to offer, what's available and what will best suit your need. Because I remember even before in purchasing um, our home, it was, I thought I needed this. I thought I wanted this, but then the realtor showed us, no, you don't need that. That's not what you need. And so, you know, to be able to redirect people and to keep people on focus, mm -hmm. um, I think that is really important. Um, we say that realtors are a dime a dozen. So you really want to be impressionable because if I say something to you and you don't like it, there's a billion other realtors that you can speak to and we'll give you the answers. So you want to be, you want to always be cordial. You want to make yourself available and be knowledgeable, be knowledgeable about what they're asking for, what locations they're looking for. And it's always good to say, I'm not sure I can get back to you. And when you say, I'm gonna get back to you, get back to them. Because one of the biggest, what they said, a referrals is our business. And so if you do someone well, you'll get the business. If you don't, you'll get the business. And so you wanna <laughs> make sure you know, that you, you conduct yourself. And I think the golden rule will apply do unto those people as you would want someone to do unto you. So if you don't want garbage, don't give people garbage. Good advice. Good advice. What are some concerns that you, that you have when you, whenever you've looked at realtors, Kelly? Um, I, I think kind of the same thing as you said, I want to I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character sometimes and kind of relationship building between us. And I definitely feel like for something that that's, that's that big of a purchase, <laughs> I need to have a relationship with you. I need to be able to feel like I'm trusting that you're doing the best thing for me based on what I've told you, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How often 
um, just be when you're talking to someone that um, it's just not their time. You could tell they're passionate. They do everything you ask them to do, but it's just not their time based upon debt to come in ratio, whatever. And you have to say to them, maybe you may want to wait. How often does that come up and how do you address that with someone? Well, it comes up sadly more often than I care for um, because people hear interest rates are 2.99. Everybody can buy. Mm, no. That's not everybody. Not, <laughs> not everybody. That is a very true statement. Even with 2.99, there are people who still cannot debt ratio because they do not make enough money. Um, there are still people whose credit scores are what I call in the pooper. And when your credit scores are in the pooper and it looks like it's been that way for five years and you have done little or nothing to fix that, mm -hmm. I don't think you need to come to me saying, can I get in a house in the next six months? Did you get your credit like this in six months? I'm pretty sure you did not. <laughs> that is, I have to have tough conversations like that every day, unfortunately. It is, um, it saddens me that people don't take better care of their credit. There, but then credit tells a story. Because sometimes you can see somebody who had perfect credit for years, and then you see uh, six months or a year of crazy, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden that straightened out. And if you just have a conversation, and that's what I spend my time doing, getting to know my customers. I want to know what brought you to me today. Why are we talking today? I know you said your realtor said, call Beatrice because she will get you in a loan. <laughs> I know that's what your realtor told you. However, tell me why you are looking for a house today. What is going on with your life? And so there are stories varied from, I broke up with my husband and now me and my kids need somewhere to go to, mm -hmm. Um, I'm 60 years old and nobody in my family has ever owned a home and I really want to own a home and a little bit of everything in between. And so if people will just be honest and talk about their life, because their life is going to deal with that house, their life is going to live in that house, their life is going to pay that mortgage payment because I don't ever want to do a mortgage for somebody who can't afford to make their mortgage payment ever. And I, there were times in 2008, 2009 and before <laughs> where there were lots of people who could have cared less if a person could afford their mortgage or not. They just wanted to do the mortgage because there was so much money to be made in that. Mm -hmm. And it made my stomach hurt literally to hear that. Um, at that point, I was in a different role. I was still in sales, but in a different role than I am now, where I didn't talk directly to the customer. I talked to the mortgage broker instead, who was doing the mortgage. That was my customer. And so if I ask a mortgage broker, actually, this is a real story. I ask a mortgage broker, there was a 75-year-old lady 
on disability and, you know, social security. And he said, I want to do a stated income loan for her. And I said, well, why do you want to do a stated income loan for a lady that's 75 years old? We can't discriminate because of her age, but why do you want to do a stated income loan? And when he said to me, well, because she can't afford the payment, I said, then why are you wanting to do the loan? Why would you put a 75-year-old lady in a house she can't afford? Who does that? I was irate, basically. A lot of people do that. A lot I, of people, unfortunately. It happened, it happened so often. And, you know, I got called a Girl Scout and, you know, Beatrice, Miss Goody Two-Shoes all the time. And I really didn't care. I really could have cared. They called me anything they wanted as long as they talked about my mama. The long and the short of it was you have to be able to sleep at night. In my mind, you cannot do wrong by people and benefit from that long term. I have to answer to a much higher power mm -hmm. than Loan Depot or anybody else walking this earth. And so if a 75-year-old lady comes to me and says, I want to refinance my house, I'm going to first of all ask her why do you feel like you need to refinance your house? You're 75. What is going on in your life? Is the mortgage payment too high? What is going on? And if she gives me the, I'm, tell me the truth. I, we'll figure out what to tell the underwriter, but you need to tell me the truth. I need to know the truth. And then we'll figure out what the underwriter needs to know. Okay? That is how I feel about that. Tell okay. me the truth, because I don't ever want to be faced with, I didn't know the truth about a mortgage borrower's situation. I don't ever want to be faced with well, that. Well, then it limits your ability to help them to get what they Absolutely. need most. A Absolutely. And then sometimes they don't need to refinance. I'm like, you know what? All you really need to do is go to your mortgage company and tell them, I can't afford this mortgage. I need you to modify it. And go get that done. And nobody's going to make any money off of you. Not me, not Joe Blow Broker. Nobody's going to make any money off of you. And you're going to get what you need, which is a lower mortgage payment. I want to go back to this. Um, did you have a question, Kelly? Well, I, I have a question. And, and maybe it's one of your questions. I don't know. But Miss B has said a few different terms that I kind of thought was all the same person and could be, I guess, maybe. But I don't understand the difference between, and I'm probably not alone, loan originator, mortgage broker, uh, and somebody else, underwriter, and all of those different people. It, it sounds like there's a lot of people. So when I go to apply for a pre-approval or a loan, am I talking to just you, Miss B, or am I talking to you and then somebody else and then somebody else and somebody else? That's well, why got 17 pages. Right? I know. Originally, you are just talking to me. And However, you're a loan originator, right? I am an loan originator for a mortgage banker. That means we loan our own money, okay? okay? A mortgage broker is a person who works for a company that gets a 
you talk to them about your mortgage, but they're not loaning you their money. They're loaning, they have to conform to the guidelines of a company that they're going to send your loan to, to get sign off on, okay? Whereas when you're talking to me, you're talking to me, my underwriter at my company is going to approve your loan. We're going to close your loan and we're gonna fund your loan with our money. So it's not going anywhere until possibly we sell it after you close and that will not change the dynamic of your loan in any way, shape or form because it's illegal for that to happen. So um, I apologize, I can't do anything about that phone. So the, um, the underwriter is the person who approves the loan. They don't ever talk to you as a general rule. You won't get to talk to them. They're not nice people anyway. You don't really want to talk to them, honestly. Um, I shouldn't say that. Some underwriters are very nice people. But for the most part, all they want to do is look at the numbers, look at the facts, give me the facts. That's how they, they operate. And they go through, do their paperwork, and either here's your approval, here's your denial. This is why keep it moving. Okay? Based on certain guidelines, right? Based on the guidelines. Not just That's how they feel that day. No, no. And believe me, some of them like to say, because I don't feel that. And I'm like, that's not your job to feel. That's, that's not your job to feel. Your job is to underwrite. Your job is not to feel. That's, that's a therapist or something. You, that's not your job. So this, this may, go ahead. This may be the first time I've ever said this. I want to go back to the poop or the poop <laughs> range. <laughs> What would be the pooper range? You 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 said that earlier. What's the, the pooper range is under five hundred credit score. Hold on, press pause. So you mean to tell me that people can get a credit uh get approved for at, a domicile at five? Okay, okay. At five eighty. Now, if a person calls me and they're at five sixty. Right now, today, they have three scores, a 550, 560, 580. Their middle score is 560. Their middle score is what we're going to go by. Okay. They're only 20 points from 580, and then they can get uh, a loan, an FHA or VA loan, right? So that's not in the pooper from my perspective. A 560 is not in the pooper. That's just somebody who has been struggling with their credit and maybe they just don't know to keep their credit card balances lower or to you know pay off a little $80 collection. As soon as the, the, the hospital calls or sends you a, a letter that says your, your insurance company didn't pay this $80, pay the freaking $80 so it doesn't go on your credit report because it's not gonna be your happy place when it drops your credit score by 35 points unnecessarily for 80 bucks it's not worth right. it just not worth it so for and my so, i'm sorry so for my sippers um my takeaway from that is let's be realistic she didn't mm -hmm. say 480 she didn't even say 500 be realistic but i would say don't discount yourself allow someone to look at where you are and, and then you need to be it. Yeah. And at okay. least even if it's not right now, you've created a roadmap to where you can go. Make a plan. Absolutely. Make a plan. You have to come up with a plan. Right. 
So again, you didn't get to 480 instantly because the person with zero credit mm. has zero scores. Right. They have no scores. You go get one credit card with a $300 limit, because that's what they're going to give somebody with no credit. Maybe higher, depending on what, how much they make. But as a general rule, they're going to give you one credit card for 300 bucks and you charge up that 300 bucks and charge it off. Then you deserve to have a 480 score. Now, the other person who goes and gets that 300, that first credit card, $300, they charge $50. They pay it off in two months. Three months later, they charge $30. They pay that off the next month. And then that person has a 620 score. Their credit is not in the pooper. They just have limited credit. Right. Now, hopefully that credit card reports to all three bureaus so that they can have three credit scores. But as a general rule, you need three lines of credit to have a decent credit score. So like two credit cards and a car I'm a, I'm, credit okay. cards and a line of credit or something. All right. Okay. So let's assume that we've gotten things where they need to be out of the poop range mm -hmm. and I'm ready to go. Cause I like that. That's going to stick with me. Yeah, apparently it's be a couple so. of things I put in the pooper range. <laughs> so um, I'm ready to go looking. So now that I've gotten my credit, I'm the buyer or interested buyer, and I've gotten my credit out of the pooper, and I'm ready to go get an idea of what I want my next 1530 forever home to look like. What are some things that I need to focus on and not get caught up in? Or what are some of the biggest mistakes that shoppers make when they're looking, Candace? I guess the biggest one, but you've already kind of uh, discussed it, is knowing what you qualify for or what you're eligible for. But once you've gotten to that point, um, it's still keeping them in the range where they need to be. Because oftentimes what people are eligible for or what they qualify for is not what they want. So I guess you can say you want champagne and you can afford OE. And so just as something, I'm sorry. As in old English, <laughs> you went back. <laughs> you went, that's some colored water right there. So that's, yeah. Okay. And so sometimes you have to really, and, and you always want to be diplomatic. You never want to make people feel bad about themselves or about what they are able to do because by purchasing a home is a great big investment it's a big deal and so but sometimes you just really have to bring people in to say this is not this is not and I can just give you an example this uh, one of my um someone I know sent me an email the other day and she says oh I'm looking for do they have any homes in your neighborhood yeah well I'm looking for a multi-family oh great um, well, how many, so then I start asking, like, how many bedrooms are you looking for? You know, these, um, how many bathrooms, what are you looking for yourself? Are you looking, she says, oh, it's an investment property. Okay. 
And so then I said, well, how much are you looking to spend? And she specifically asked for a multi-family property. And she said $300,000. In Brooklyn? <laughs> in the world. Because he said in the world, anywhere, find one. Right. You can't get that in Charlotte. I know you can't get it in okay. Brooklyn. No, Kelly. I've been looking, I've been looking, you know, I try to keep up with market trends, just not in New York. And I, and, and I'm saying to her, and she's very confident in that. Oh, I'm looking for an, I'm an investor now. Well, my dear, what are you investing in? Shoeboxes? <laughs> because this is not, I mean, in New York right now, you cannot even purchase a, a lollipop, a lollipop. For three hundred thousand dollars, and so would you say an ice cream cart to set up on the corner? Right, right, and then you have to be careful about whose corner you're on because you know it's turf wars. But and so again, that's a big thing just to keep people in check to let them know what really is available and what they're eligible for. And one of the big um, issues that we have. Like people go to their resources, use, they use Zillow. And Zillow is a big place where people go. And a lot of properties on Zillow are not available. And so one of the things people would see, oh, I saw this 12 family house and it was only $200,000. And because we use it as realtors, we use it as a marketing tool to get people. I think that's probably letting out some of our secrets, but it's a marketing tool. And so people are not really aware. So I think it's really good, even if you haven't done your homework as a buyer, to allow the agent, the realtor, school you and not be so, um, don't always feel like people are just trying to shut you down, but just want to make you aware of what your money can afford you. And I think, again, as a realtor, it's your job to school people, but you don't want to make people feel bad about their decisions. So I told the young lady, I said, well, I will put you on, you know, I'll send you whatever becomes available. And I usually get the emails as it's sent to the clients or the customers. I haven't seen any that populated yet. I bet. Let's just say on, <clears throat> let's just say on a personal note, I've, um, I've perused your neighborhood since she asked. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. but if you come across it's, something for two or three hundred thousand dollars you know let us know because we I might gonna, yes. i wanted to tell her this group right here might go in and <laughs> right right and, and totally and to be totally honest like in new york and brooklyn right now um you can't buy i mean you can get a a co-op a two-bedroom co-op with one bathroom in an area which is not maybe the best area but it, you know feel for three hundred thousand dollars wow we heard from b saying that she asked a couple of questions why do you want a house blah 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 but what should i be focusing on when i'm actually looking at the aesthetics to make sure that i don't that what i'm looking at is going to fit my lifestyle Candace. Um, we actually asked some of the same questions. Why, why are you looking to move? What do you want this home for? Um, how soon are you looking to move? So these are some of the questions, although the mortgage people ask, we also ask because we want to know um, 
basically how to best suit your needs. And so the people that mm-hmm. we want to come, that we want you to bring, is usually the people who are going to live in the space with you. So, and that's for a different, a uh, few reasons. Number one, because houses don't last. So before when you can, oh, I want to do a reshow and I want this person to see and I want this person to see, I want this person to see. Now, by the time the evening is gone, has come, the property is gone. And so, you know, so whoever you want to see to see the property, you want to bring them along. And although we don't like some people to attend, because like you said, some people are killjoys or some people want to point out things that are totally irrelevant to the purchase of the property. If this person has any significance to you, um, you want to bring them to get their feedback, but it is your job as the realtor to bring them back in. Oh, well, remember you told me when we had a discussion that this is what you wanted and this is what you needed. And so I think this will definitely suit your need because sometimes the conversation that the person, the buyer is having with me is not the conversation that they have with their friends. And so once they make their request known to me, then I'm able to assess what will work for them, what won't work for them. And even some things, again, that will not necessarily work once you walk the property, once you see the property, you're able to now navigate and say, well, this is what they're using this space for, but because this is in your price range and this is what, you know, this is available, we can um, use this room for this particular project or you can do it like this. And have you watched HGTV? Because they have a lot of things there, you know, and you just, you, you become, you're comical with it, but you really have to be able to will people back in. Okay. I have another question. So, and this one is for you, B. let's say my partner and I go in and my partner currently, we're going to buy this house together, um, whatever they are in my life. And they have, they have poop range credit, but great income. Mm -hmm. I've got great credit, but mediocre, uh, um, income. Is that still a fix? Is it kind does one kind of help wash out the other? No. So, and it's a question I get asked on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a couple, um, husband has so-so credit, makes a six-figure income. Wife has 800 credit scores, makes $15 an hour. You wonder how in the world did you two ever get together? But it happens every single day. Right. The unfortunate thing about credit is mortgage companies determined after the mortgage debacle of 2008, 9, and 10 mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the weakest link is who determines how bills will be paid in that household. So the husband who has all this money is how their credit is going to be paid. So his scores will drive their, so if he has a 560 middle and she has 800 score, their score is 560 if they do the loan together. Now, if her 800 score is based on the fact that she has little or no debt, maybe she has one credit card she pays $25 a month on and her $15 an hour 
because she works overtime, she makes almost $40,000 a year at that $15 an hour. She can buy something with her income. He can gift her down payment and closing costs if he wants to, but he should not be on that loan. And it actually, it benefits a couple to have one person on the mortgage versus two people on the mortgage from this perspective. When you are going through life and both of you are on one mortgage payment, it doesn't matter who is, who is making that payment, whose money is making that payment. It is the same mortgage payment for both of you for your debt ratio, the whole thing. We don't take half of it. We don't take proportionately. If there's three people on it, we don't take a third of it. Every person is fully responsible for that whole mortgage. So why, if you don't need two people to qualify for the mortgage, why would you put two people on there? Now, some of that goes back to ancient sexist thought process the man like i have to be on the mortgage why do mm -hmm. you have to be on the mortgage there's no reason for you to be on this mortgage if we don't need you on this mortgage it is better for you not to be on this mortgage sir you could go out and buy all the cars if you want to because you know car dealerships really don't much care what your credit score is give or take um they'll let you buy cars all day long almost regardless of your credit score, as long as you're willing to pay the interest rate, right? Right. But a mortgage has is based on credit scores and qualifying with debt ratio. So the answer to your question is, there's no combining those two. No, the higher credit brings up the lower credit. No, the, the lower income drags hmm. down the higher income. No, it's one or the other, whoever has the best credit score is who should be on the mortgage, if at all possible, by themselves. And it doesn't change who owns the house because you can put on the contract and on the title whoever you want. It just changes who is responsible for that mortgage payment. Now, I'm not gonna say that if you're in a relationship with somebody that you don't trust, that you go out and get a mortgage payment all on your own and then just put them on the title because eh, that could be a problem. Because if you're married to them in the state of North Carolina in particular, you cannot refinance or sell that house unless they sign. So you don't want to buy real estate in general with anybody that you don't trust. I just went had a closing this afternoon the sellers of the property, my customers were the borrowers, were the buyers, but the sellers of the property were these, this young couple that had bought a townhouse together, broke up, and now they were selling it because they could not agree on anything anymore. So they were just selling it, getting rid of it, moving on. I said, wow, interesting. So they bought it apparently originally to live in, broke up, decided they would rent it out. Rent it out, been doing okay with the rent, but you know now the market is such that they really wanna go ahead and make their money and split, 
split it and go on their separate ways so that they don't have to split the money to rent anymore or worry about paying the mortgage together anymore. And so they were selling that property. So that's a prime example of, fortunately, they were able to come into, they couldn't even come to the closing together. They came separately. She came first and then he was coming hours later. I'm like, see, this is what happens with people when you buy stuff with folks that you don't really know very well. So um, that is the long answer to your question. <laughs> you know, I have trouble so, with short answers, apparently. I was talking to a young person or a guy, and he said, he's coming into all this money. He's trying to court me. If you're listening to this, yes, I'm talking about you. Um, he's trying to court me, as it were. And he said, you know, and I'm asking where, you know, the leading questions, what are you interested in? What are you going to do? Um, your, you know, do you plan on buying a house? He said, no, I feel like I'm too old to buy a house. I'm 54 years old. So, you know, I'd be happy to pay mortgage there. When you mortgage talk about where? Mortgage where I am, if, you know, if that was an option. Oh, so, really? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I guess my speak to that because you, you made a very good point about going into something like that. If you, and I guess it's a personal thing, buying something based upon somebody being there, whether you trust them or not. If we both make, my partner make, let's say my partner is $200,000, I'm $200,000 and we qualify for a lot. Um, tell our listeners, does that mean that you should necessarily do that? Or should we get something that only one of us, if we get down to it, one of us can afford to pay no matter what? Again, a true working budget, a budget that allows you to pay all of your bills, still save and still enjoy your life. If okay. that the house that you buy means that you can pay your mortgage, still have savings with ease, and still enjoy your life. If you're enjoying your life means traveling abroad, traveling throughout the US, traveling, now that we finally can start traveling again, Lord have mercy, doing the things that you want to do, paying for college tuitions, doing things that don't create debt, then buy as much house is going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to have to sacrifice life, sacrifice savings, and sacrifice comfort of paying that mortgage payment, I don't suggest that. I've seen entirely too much of that in my 32 years. I've seen people buy million-dollar homes. Yeah, they made half a million dollars a year, but when things went south, they lost everything. Right. Everything. Because they were basing mm -hmm. their life on always making a half a million dollars a year. And that may be your life forever, and it may not. Right. So as long as you're saving enjoying your life and paying your bills with ease. You don't have any trouble paying your bills. You pay your bills not only on time, but most of the time early. Then 
you've got a mortgage payment that is working for you. All right. So Candace, we hear about their seasonal things. And um, even though our, our, our listeners are typically 40 and above, is there a certain time of year that's better to go look at and be interested in buying? When, when I was um, younger and having children, I would see a lot of people buying and or selling because school was out into the summer. Is that still consistent or are there other better times? Um, they still say like springtime is the best time, new things. Um, just it springs brings new things. So they mm -hmm. still say springtime is a great time. But as so coming, especially during this pandemic, so ending as it was ending, and I don't want to say ending, but as the things started opening up, let's say toward the end of last year, Real estate started booming. I mean, booming, booming. So, and that wasn't the spring, that was fall. And then it took a little during the um, fall time, winter time, it was very busy. And um, so, but generally people, again, they, we stick, we, we stay springtime. During the holidays, we tell people, you know, not many people, if that's a good time to buy because other people are focused on other things. But because let's say rates are so low right now. So now is a good time, the best time to buy because of, of the circumstance. So we would, I would still say springtime. Is and what? Okay. Now I'm going to speak for, <laughs> now I'm going to speak for the entrepreneurs. What's different for us? be what do I need to have together that someone who collects a W-2 may not may you not have, have to, to have in this day and time for the most part for the the standard what we call conforming interest rate loan you have to have two years of tax returns mm -hmm. filed filed and those tax returns have to show net income net income right <laughs> that will support your mortgage payments and your other debts so when i say net income because unfortunately i have conversations on a regular basis with my self-employed brothers and sisters of this these three great states of North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that I make a ton of money. I said, of course you do. What do you tell Uncle Sam you make? Because it doesn't really matter how much you bring home. It's what you tell Uncle Sam you make that I have to go by. Okay. There are programs and they're starting to crop up again as they did before the mortgage debacle that says, well, if you put 15% down, you can use your bank statements to figure your income. I said, okay, well, that's fine. But you're also gonna pay a much higher rate than you're gonna pay on a regular conforming loan. So the price you pay for not telling Uncle Sam how much money you've made or not being realistic with him 
about how much money mm-hmm. you make. Mm-hmm. Because if a, if a truck guy owns a trucking company and he's bringing a couple hundred thousand a year, but he writes it down to 40,000 a year with expenses. And then he comes to me and says, I want to buy half a million dollar house. I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Unless you want to put 15% down, sir, on that $500,000 house, then Hmm. that's not going to happen. And if you can show me with your bank, if you that $200,000 a year that you are bringing in, and I see that going into your business account, fantastic. And you have the 15% to put down. Just know the difference between the mortgage payment on a $500,000 house at 15% down on a bank statement program is probably going to be five, five and a half percent interest rate versus 2.99 on a conforming with 5% down or 3% down if you're a first-time home buyer. Yeah, and over the long haul, that that 2% differential, it means a lot. Massive. It's a massive it's a huge difference. difference. It's yes. a huge difference. It also changes your eligibility, what what you were able to qualify for. What you can qualify for. I mean, think about it. At two hundred thousand, if we're using two hundred thousand as your um, deposits into your bank account, okay, you can qualify for that five hundred thousand because you don't have, you know, but maybe a $500, $600 house, I mean, car payment or something and a couple credit cards. But if you've written it down to 40,000 to do conforming, you're not gonna get a $500,000 house because you can't afford the payment. It's that simple. So I've heard a lot of great tips. I've heard, you know, uh, realism in this, um, things that you can ask for, conversations that you can have before you even come to either one of you, where to start first, and it's um, a roadmap of sorts. What is a final thought that you would leave with um, our listeners be? And, and then after that, please include your contact information. We'll include it in all of our links as well. Okay, well, my final thought to everyone who is even considering buying refinancing um, in real estate is still the best game in town, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Real estate will always be the best investment you can make. Um, because as a general rule, it doesn't go down in value. It's an appreciating asset, unlike some of the other things we spend our money on. So definitely worth looking into. Do not be discouraged by anything that you've heard that's like even credit in the pooper. Take the time to evaluate, pick up the phone, give me a call. Let's see if we can work through whatever your situation is. Um, I truly enjoy what I do and look forward to helping and seeing people go from 
I didn't think I could do this till I have the keys to my home. That is always my happy place. I can be reached at 704-201-7463. My email is bpeterkin, just like it sounds, like Peter, P-E-T-E-R-K-I-N, at loandepot.com. And the link to, if you're just like, okay, I'm just ready to go. I know I can do this. I am ready is B Peterkin, excuse me, is www.loandepot.com forward slash B Peterkin. And I thank you ladies so much for having me and giving me the time to, to actually listen and to uh, speak on these long years of experience in this <laughs> business. <laughs> and without further ado, Miss Purdy or Mrs. Purdy. So the takeaway I would leave is to make sure you do your homework. You know, you can have a thought in your mind to say, I want to buy a house. And so it's unfortunate. I feel like this is something that we should learn in school. You know, they should teach these things in school because I'm telling you I want to buy a house and I don't know half of the things needed in order to make this purchase. And so I've come so far, but I still have so far to go. So I think it's so important for us to educate ourselves, to know what's available for us um, because there's... Um, so many things that are available for us and to us, but if we don't educate ourselves, we'll, we'll miss out. And so it's important for us to do our homework. Um, and this is going from being an 18 year old from, from the beginning, when you started, when you're able to have credit, because you don't want to jack mm -hmm. up your credit. And then we have the pooper situation, you know, so if we learn these <laughs> early and if we teach our children early then we will be so much ahead of the game so far ahead of the game than just being a 42 year old 45 year old trying to figure out well I have really bad credit and I don't know where to start it's a great time to start at any time but how much better is it to learn and get the information years and years and years ahead of the time well very well said and Miss Kelly, oh, go ahead. You had something you wanted to add. Where, where can we oh, find you? That's what I was gonna say. Ready to say. So again, my name is Candace, and you can find me at Hyron Real Estate, that is in Brooklyn, New York. And you can also Google and find me at Hyron.com, and I'll be there. And my telephone number is nine one seven six zero one six seven eight three. Thank you. So, Miss Kelly. So I think my takeaway here is just it, it, it behooves you to know your finances um, and to know kind of what you're looking for and what you want to, you know, what your purpose is for it. Um, and to, uh, you know, find some great women like these two and uh, get hooked up with them and get your, get your mortgage settled out and then find that property. That's something that I hope to do in the next year or so. Looking forward to working with you, Kelly. 
<laughs> well, home ownership, as far as I can see from personal experience and definitely with the information that you two have shared, it's an option. It's an option no matter where you currently stand and for whatever reason that you want it, um, it's an option. And you take it off the table and you, you make it an, a viable option based upon where you are and, and what you're doing about it. However big or small, it's still an option. Uh, my takeaway is I definitely could not be a realtor just because my facial expressions would always give me away. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for the time that you poured into your passion, your knowledge, and the gift that you give to other people. Because like B said, being able to walk through that door and know that you know I have the key to something that I've worked hard for is phenomenal. So thank you for your part and anyone that looks like you that helps people that look like us. Um, if you're still listening, thank you for tuning in to our sippers. Be sure to go and follow these ladies. Our inf their information will be included. And don't forget to subscribe to Pouring Good Tea. There's more to come. Thank you. Bye-bye.